0: I am so pleased to be here. Um, Alyssa and I went to seminary together and met at that time. She was, do you know how when you're in the congregation and you want to stand next to somebody who sings really well because you can kind of feel like that's you singing? She was the one in Greek class that I always wanted to sit by because she spoke Greek so well. She just caught on like this. I thought maybe if I sit by her, um, it'll kind of catch, catch to me. Well, what happened was we became very good friends. I never was very good at Greek. I'm sure Alyssa is still very good at Greek. But uh, again, I'm so pleased to be here where she worships and where she's on your staff and ministers so well. I'm honored to have been invited as well. I know some other women who have been in your pulpit, and they're friends of mine, so I'm pleased to be here with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, may your word be our rule. Your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Christ, our single concern. Amen. Well, I'm from Holland, Michigan. I drove over yesterday from Holland, so not far. I grew up, however, on the east side of the state. So Holland was a second home to me. And um, I have the pleasure of serving as a chaplain at Tyson Foods. That's a large meat processing plant that's north of Zealand. I'm sure you've all um, experienced Tyson Foods in in one way or another, and I have about 1,200 teammates that I support and relate to. Therefore, my congregation is about 1,200 people, but I'm so pleased to be here with you this morning and have just this nice-sized crowd. This unusual place of ministry is a blessing, and it's very hard at times, too. I'm the face of Christ for many who may never step into a church. I'm humbled to be allowed into their stories that are oftentimes dark and harsh and filled with unforgiveness. And I think as I was praying about what to bring this morning, that unforgiveness kind of kept coming up in my mind. And it was actually during Lent while I was preparing, and one morning during Lent, and this isn't surprising, I heard three sermons on unforgiveness. So that kind of solidified things in my mind, but um, lest you think I'm a sermon junkie, which I kind of am, um, one only one was in person and two were online, but they all happened to be about forgiveness. And so I thought, okay, I think that's it. I pondered and I prayed and forgiveness was what continually bubbled to the surface, And we are in that Easter tide season, which is the the season between um, Easter and Pentecost. And if you know the church calendar, um, there are green seasons and different colored seasons in the liturgical calendar. This is not one of those green seasons for growth, but it's a great time. It's one of the white and gold um, seasons, but it's a great time to look at forgiveness deeply, I think, because it's all about going back to what Easter did for us. You know, we are Easter people. Just wondering, do any of you know that song, Every Morning is Easter Morning? Anybody my age here? <laughs> we used to sing it all the time. <laughs> and the the last three lines were, Every morning is Easter morning. Every morning is Easter morning. And we got quieter as we sang this. And then we said, Every morning is Easter morning. And then we all gloriously shouted, From now on. So so if I give you a cue, that's what I want, but I'm not going to do that because I don't sing into microphones, but I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here on this fourth Sunday after Easter telling you, and I don't have to tell you, I know you have a vibrant community of faith here that every morning is Easter morning from now on because of the cross. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 18, 21 through 35, and this may be very familiar to you it on the screen? It is. All right. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord, the master, ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, to make payment of everything. So the slave fell on his knees and pleaded, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the Lord, his master, released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and then went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him again and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his debt. So my Heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother and sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a serious text, isn't it? It is a hard text. It is not gentle Jesus. Certainly this text and others like them indicate Jesus' sense of justice. Perhaps these stories are troubling because we recognize our own selves in them. Maybe not to the extent that the servant was um, in the story. Maybe we hold on to unforgiveness in a different way. Maybe we hold resentment or a slight... Maybe that's for not being recognized for something we did at work or on a committee. Maybe it's because we realize that we've paid more than our fair share for a bill. Maybe for a family event or something like that. Maybe it's because someone doesn't offer us gas money when we've driven so many reasons to hold resentment. I'd like to suggest, perhaps, that we have grown up in somewhat of a forgiveness vacuum. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes we think that forgiveness is only transactional rather than formational. So let me describe the former, that transaction. And don't get me wrong, the transaction is so, so important. And I remember as we raised our four boys, we made sure this transaction was going on because we knew no other way to get through those arguments that happen over and over and over again and those little minor and major skirmishes that go on. So the former sounds like this. I'm sorry, will you forgive me for whatever it is? And then the other person has to say, yes, I forgive you for and whatever the the reason is for for the skirmish. And that works, doesn't it? Do we have any Daniel Tiger fans here? Any parents that are going to admit to seeing Daniel Tiger, he's even got a little song that says, "Um, you say I'm sorry and how can I help? That's, That's good enough too, isn't it? Oftentimes that's quite simple, but a right approach. It's important, I'm sure, but I'd like to suggest that the formational rather emphasizes how we show up in the world rather than a formulaic conversation. First, however, I want you to go with me, zoom out a minute. I heard this wonderful story of forgiveness. Maybe you read it or heard it too. Um, It was in the papers in Kansas City, and um, this happened just this year, just before Easter. The the headline read, Kansas City Church pays off $2.2 million in medical bills for needy families. The article continued that this was announced at Pathway Church in Wichita, by Pastor Todd Carter, explaining that following a donation of only $2,200 and working with a company called RIP Medical Debt that works to buy and forgive people's medical debts for pennies on the dollar, notifications went out to some 1,600 families. Can you imagine? These families owed from $50 to $5,000. And the the article went on to say that the letter that went with this Um, forgiveness letter, said, We are pathway church. We may never meet you. So these weren't church members. But in an act of kindness in the name of Jesus Christ, your debt is forgiven. Wouldn't that be a nice letter to get in the mail? Receiving that kind of forgiveness. Amazing. Now I'd like us to take a look at the Lord's Prayer. This prayer that Jesus taught us his disciples, modeling for us, even suggesting that we say this prayer daily. The familiar line, and I'm not sure which line you use, if it's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's interesting that even after the cross, knowing that we are forgiven and saved, Jesus teaches us a prayer that confronts us daily, with our ugliness and the sin in our lives. I wonder, does this mean that we are to forgive in order to be forgiven? There's sort of an exchange going on in that prayer, isn't there? Forgive us as we forgive. Does this mean, I'll ask again, that we are to forgive in order to be forgiven? Yes and no. Let me explain. I always want to be quick to forgive, but then it's easy to think, if I don't forgive, then will God forgive me? This sounds very transactional, doesn't it? And even to a fault, because it sounds like somehow that it puts us in control of this grand cosmic narrative. And we were never meant to be, were we? It's the character of God that makes forgiveness work in the world that God is giving and merciful, overflowing in steadfast love and abundant in graceful giving. And us, not so much. So it is not I forgive and then God forgives. But we can look at this as sort of a simultaneous movement because of the character of God, which I just described, because of the vastness of his grace and mercy as there is this daily call to forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, there's recognition and acknowledgement and hope for our horizontal relationships. Are you following me here? Yeah. In this, God is at work forming in us a more gracious presence that can actually be, for the sake of the world, bringing good news. And that happens, doesn't it? I hope you experience that when you're in the midst of a forgiveness opportunity. All of a sudden, something feels much better once we're able to forgive and something happens in us. But that is until it's not happening. No, God does not cease to forgive us, but we can cease to recognize it or accept it. We can cease to extend forgiveness, or we cease to be receptive to those who are extending mercy and forgiveness to us. So as much as we are not in control of God's forgiveness, we are in control of how we interact with forgiveness horizontally. And thus, it affects our vertical relationship, doesn't it? Our forgiveness lives matter for so many reasons, including that it can make or break our public witness in the world. I've gleaned from listening to past sermons by Pastor Mike and what I hear of your church that you are a church filled with Jesus people working toward bringing justice and ushering in the kingdom of God. I heard some beautiful stories from Julie last night, who was my host. She talked about what you are doing in the community. And I thought, yes, you are people who are bringing in the kingdom of God. There's a quote by Miroslav Volf. Let me see if I can get this slide up here. It says this, Only those who are forgiven and who are willing to forgive will be capable of relentlessly pursuing justice. Without falling into the temptation to pervert justice, excuse me, to pervert it into injustice. I think that's a quote you might want to take a hold of because it takes some pulling apart and some chewing on it, I think. In other words, forgiveness gives a baseline from which to operate in the world to be a presence of mercy that offers forgiveness rather than vengeance. In our scripture today, Peter is asking Jesus about forgiveness. Jesus then speaks to Peter and in turn gives us the tools to do conflict differently, doesn't he? That word is for us not just Peter. Peter asked, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who has sinned against me? And you know the answer. Seventy-seven times. Or as I grew up in the scriptures, it said seventy times seven, and I always wanted to figure that out. It was four hundred and ninety thousand or something like that. Um, Speaking of those numbers, do we have a thing that very few of you knew every morning is Easter morning? We may not have any Bible quizzers in here, here either. Do we have people that grew up doing Bible quizzing? No. Well, all right. So this this lady right here might know the answer to this, but some of the rest of you might too. Do you know where else in the scriptures 70 or 77 times is, is talked about? It's in the Old Testament, very close to the beginning of the Bible. Anybody with me here? It's in the story of Lamech. Lamech in Genesis 4. Lamech is one of Methuselah's sons, so therefore he what? Lived a really long time. He's also the father of Noah. I didn't know that. He's the father of Noah. But as he's talked about, he's not a very likable character, honestly. Let me read you from Genesis 4:23 and 24. Lamech is speaking to his wife's wives. Ada and Zilha, listen to me, wives of Lamech. He talks in third person for some reason. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. There it is. It's as if this young man is telling an ode to himself, an ode to his violence, Maybe someone has hit him or kicked him or hurt him in some other way, and he's saying, whatever you do to me, I will pay you back that harsh meanness 77 times over. Am I wrong in thinking this unfortunate scriptural reference is sometimes where it seems the world has gotten to in its current downward spiral? more than reflecting the teaching of Jesus to Peter and remember we have to keep in mind that Jesus wasn't saying to Peter get out your abacus and do the math it wasn't like i was a, when i was a young child sitting in the choir loft doing the math no what this 77 or 7 times seven, 70 times 7 means is that it's boundless it symbolizes boundlessness in our ability to forgive So Jesus is calling us to forgiveness, period. To an exponentially gratuitous forgiveness. He's asking us to reverse that downward spiral of humanity as it's seen through the Lamech story. The one who bragged of obscene vengeance. And he's asking us to be people of obscene forgiveness, isn't he? It's not about the number. It's about becoming a people who show up in a totally different way with forgiveness in mind. As we go deeper into this scripture, I want to talk about the word forgiveness itself. Peter asked about quantity, but what about quality? What about the quality of forgiveness? The meaning of the word, unfortunately, has gotten twisted and misused and manipulated in the church today. We've seen this and are seeing it more and more as scandals break out, cover-ups are uncovered, in the church and without the church. And things come to light. And victims are told, using the words of Jesus, to forgive. To forgive, to forget, and to move on. So I'll say maybe this is a time for me to talk a little bit about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not ignoring poor behavior or condoning poor behavior. Forgiveness is not about being a doormat. And forgiveness is not about tolerating further abuse. The scripture just prior to this one is in Matthew 18 as well, but talks about how we right wrongs in the church. Jesus is very serious about caring for those who are experiencing pain. Jesus instructs us to right the wrong by bringing the situation to light and also by bringing someone else into the situation with us. Jesus never intends us to go back into a situation alone with a person who is hurting us. I know in a room this size, even in Midland, Michigan, statistically there is a good chance that a number of us are in abusive or painful relationships. Jesus' teaching on forgiveness does not say to you, forgive and forget. It does not say, keep silent. It does not say that we are to forgive and stay on. It does not say, forgive and stay silent, as I just mentioned. Instead, Jesus instructs us by saying, bring that conversation to light. Take somebody into that conversation with you, and then finally take the church into the conversation with you if necessary, and then out of a place of safety, perhaps we can start walking that long road to forgiveness. And the forgiveness here is not one that's done out of fear, but it's an invitation to wholeness and healing. Matthew 18 here is saying that silence is not a spiritual attribute, and forgiveness is not suffering in secret. When we go even further into our story, the story about the servants that owed so much money, if we figured it out, that first servant would be owing millions of dollars. The money could not possibly be paid back even in a lifetime of indentured servanthood, which was what the master was um, giving to him, that your, you and your family will be in indentured servanthood until you can pay us back or pay me back. But given the sum of money, it could not be paid back. The servant knew that, and yet he pled with him and said, "'Please forgive me. Let me go when I will pay every penny.'" His bargaining here, friends, is about like bargaining with God during plane turbulence or childbirth or something like that. It's not going to happen. This man cannot pay back his debt. It's huge. But what does the master do? He takes mercy on him, and he said, go, go. So it's miraculous. This is a miraculous forgiveness by this master. But even more miraculous and so troubling is that this servant went out and found his own servant and didn't show this same mercy, did he? No, in fact, he not only demands the money, he takes them in a a throat hold, in a choke hold, doesn't he? I ask you, do you ever want to get someone in a choke hold? (laughs) Sometimes that might be tempting. This servant now may have wronged his master, many, many times, and so what was brought up in servant number one, I'll call him the one that was forgiven so much, maybe it brought up all this other stuff. But mind you, this servant had just been forgiven. He'd been forgiven. So I'd like to suggest that this choking and then the imprisonment, I dare say, was not about the monetary debt. Because unlike the indentured servanthood above that was mentioned, there's a different word here used in the Greek, used for prison. This man is not going to make any money in the prison that he was thrown into. It's not a way to generate revenue to be paid back. So this leads us to believe that with this servant, it was never about the debt. The condition of this man's heart, however, the posture of his heart, his lack of mercy, is what Jesus is pointing out here. It's not about the money. So we have to reflect on ourselves and our own holding on to things when we seem to not be able to forgive. Is it really about that small thing, or is it the posture of our heart, for some reason, being in a state of unforgiveness? So the scripture goes on. Now when the other servants observe what's going on, they go and tell the king about this servant's lack of mercy the king calls him in again and says you wicked slave you have been forgiven so much and you can't even forgive this small sum of money and then hands him over to be tortured until the money is repaid Jesus is saying some very important things through this text I think a few of them are worthy to take home and so I've listed them out the first one here. Refuse to put others in an impossible situation. It is clear here that after the first servant is granted mercy and forgiveness, the posture of his heart is wrong. And he runs into the servant who owes him and puts him in a chokehold. Like I said before, is there anybody you'd just as soon put in a chokehold rather than offer grace and forgiveness to? Do I choose to put people in impossible situations? Perhaps for me that might look like putting that person at a distance, and sometimes this is possible, so I don't have to encounter them again, all the while instead being called by Christ to move past impossibilities and into reconciliation. So I challenge you with this same question. Is there anyone you are holding in an impossible situation? If the answer is yes, then you and I are holding the keys to that that prison. As the parable goes on, we know that there was opportunity for this servant to remember his own debt and recognize the grace that had been given to him. But perhaps that's the last thing that we want to do when we're holding someone hostage. So another point to take home today is remember your own guilt and recognize the grace extended to you. Daily I need God to come in and forgive me because I so often ignore my own brokenness and instead live out my propensity toward pride and arrogance that causes pain. Thankfully, by God's mercy, I am awakened to the grace that has been extended to me, and then by looking at someone else in the light of forgiveness that has been extended to me, I can move toward forgiveness. We all need to go through this process, remembering and recognizing Now, mind you, sometimes it might not be the right time for that. And we have to know God's timing on when we move forward in forgiveness. But always know that the time is there. We can't ignore that. The next thing I'd like us to look at is rediscover others' humanity mirrored in our own. We know our own desire to be known and loved and to have our needs met. So let this this move us along that journey to forgiveness. And once that happens, somehow miraculously in the power of Christ, we understand the invitation to release mercy and to move into a posture of compassion toward those who have harmed us. And that's number four. To release mercy and put on compassion. From this posture, we can offer mercy back to the person, the party, or even the institution that has wronged us or that has harmed us. This can bring the wholeness Christ desires and allows the other as well to encounter the forgiveness of Christ. In closing, I want to encourage all of us to ask the Holy Spirit to bring any person or place to mind that we have held in an impossible situation. Ask God to break in. Ask God to allow you even the smallest step on what might be a long forgiveness journey. Walk through these four hours again. I hope they're useful to you. We always have to understand that God is keenly aware of what we need in this life. And so he offers his help to us. And remember, because of the cross, because of Easter, we can walk in the forgiveness of Christ and walk in such a way that it's pleasing to Christ, even as Jesus walked, being pleasing to his Father God. Brothers and sisters, certainly it is the power of the cross and the presence of Christ alone that makes every morning Easter morning. Can you say it with me? Ready? From now on. Are the words ready? From now on. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me.